As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. It is so true that the media, the financial media, loves to look at strategists and say, are you right or wrong? You failed, you're done. The reality is the way strategists are used on Wall Street, and no one has given more guidance this year in the last 12 months than Michael Wilson, CIO and Chief U.S. Equity Strategist at Morgan Stanley, because it's been a consistent and cogent message of beware uh, the future. Mike, we are now where we have a Mike Wilson stock market, and what I note is you mentioned it is picked over. I can't find scale. There's not enough to, ch- to choose from. Where do I hide? Yeah, well, thanks, Tom. I appreciate your kind words. I mean, look, I think the I mean, the market is picked over because this is where we are in the evolution of this bear market. Essentially, when bear markets begin, they always go after the the high flyers, you know, things that are kind of ridiculously priced or where the earnings risk is is, uh, more evident. And that's what happened really, you know, kind of earlier this year, late last year, quite frankly, really began almost a year ago. And um, but as you kind of go through, people get high. It's like, you know, the water rises, you go to the higher part of the mountain. And so everybody's kind of crammed into the same stuff, just kind of waiting for, you know, some conclusion to this story. Either we avoid a recession and move forward, have a soft landing, or we don't. And we clear the decks and then we can move forward from there. We're kind of more in that second camp because our view on earnings is just so negative. Whether we have a recession or not, all of our top down models, which are, you know, pretty good, uh, are telling us that, you know, the spread between our forecast and the actual uh, forecast by the street, I mean, bottoms up. Is has never been wider. It's uh, the only time it's been this wide is you know in 08 and then back in 01, and we know what happened there. So the earnings story is what we're focused on. I mean, the Fed is important still. Obviously, they're not getting off the gas here on, on their hawkishness, and nor should they. But that's pretty priced. I mean, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if today we get some relief, quite frankly, led by the bond market after the Fed does their thing. Maybe stocks can rally one more time. But the end game for us is all about the earnings and the growth now. 
And we're, you know, we're just not optimistic there for the next six or 12 months. And that, that'll get priced pretty quickly. So you've got 3,400 as the base case, 50% probability. Mike, 3,000, the bear case recession scenario, 40% probability. I put out this research, that quote on Twitter in the last week. And a lot of people wanted to know, where's the other 10%, Mike? What's the 10%? <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's the mystery. Now, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. I mean, the bull case is just not that probable. Uh, you know, I think, you know, November, and we talked about this, as you recall, John, the bull case was uh, Goldilocks. And we said, well, you know, the probability of Goldilocks looks pretty unlikely. So we, you know, our bull case, you know, we can flex that from, you know, zero or not really zero, but five to uh, 20%. We're, you know, sort of five to 10% now. But the bull case is not no longer Goldilocks. It's kind of this soft landing for the economy. However, that's not a soft landing for earnings. So, you know, our bull case is not much different from our from our base case. I mean, we think we think maybe you don't make new lows in the bull case, but um, there's not a lot of upside. Okay, over the next six months, that, and that's really how we manage money. I mean, we you know we look at risk reward, and you know, at thirty nine hundred, the risk reward is probably five to one. You know, on the downside, uh, as sort of the as sort of the middle of our of our viewpoint, and that's at the S and P level. I want to make this clear because. You know, Tom asked the right question, which is, you know, this is the part of the bear market where you should be looking for individual stocks that you want to own coming out of this. Some are priced, you know, appropriately where you want to take that risk. But look what happened this week uh, with FedEx. I mean, like, you know, clearly that wasn't priced. Um, so you got to be really careful, like thinking, oh, well, everybody knows this. It's already priced and you get hit over the head and the stock's down 20 percent. So that's, uh, you know, everybody has their own risk tolerance. They have their own work. And you know, we, we have our own focus list as well. We're, we're staying defensively oriented. We're not reaching for cyclicality or, you know, kind of crazy growth stocks yet. We think it's premature for that, but we're getting closer. I mean, we think we're within a couple of months probably. So there's an issue with how long this is going to last. And we were speaking yesterday with Chris Verone, who talked of a lost decade of profits on the headline level for the S&P, just based on the fact that yields are going to remain higher, inflation is going to be uh, greater. Do you agree or do you think that we're going to get a rebound on the other side of this six months, 12 months down the line? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we will get a rebound. But, you know, our view for a while now has been we've moved out of the monetary policy dominant you know, world to a fiscal dominant policy world. And what that means is that the Fed is no longer, and other central banks, quite frankly, can no longer smooth over the edges the way they have historically, because inflation, while maybe it's going to come down over the next six months, which is our core view, um, it's not going away. It's going to be dormant, and then we'll reaccelerate again in the next upturn. What's going to happen, Lisa, I think, is that you're going to clear the decks enough on expectations on growth that you can then have a reacceleration. And that will be driven by the natural ebbing and flowing of supply and demand, but also more aggressive fiscal policy. I think it's interesting to note in the last month, I mean, fiscal policy has been turned down like a spigot again, right? We have this debt forgiveness program here. Uh, we have this 200 billion pound stimulus for energy subsidies in the UK, which is equivalent to a trillion dollars in a US economic standpoint. So it's, it's kind of interesting. I mean, you, you have kind of, everybody's worried about inflation, but the fiscal policy is working counterproductively to the monetary tightening. But that's the world I think we're living in now. And, and you have to understand that because it, it's not all bearish. Right? There will be a time when fiscal picks it up again next year, even though monetary can't do its job. It has been doing in the past. And, and, the, and the Fed's job, in my view, and the, and the, and the ECB's view, and ECB's job, in my view, their, their main job going forward is to be funding the government. Whatever the government decides to spend, they will have to fund implicitly, very similar to the 40s analog that we've been using. Mike, just one further question, and I think it's lost in the conversations I often see with you, that it's not just about an index level call with you and the team. There is some single name stuff in the mix too. 
Could you help us with just the call right now, something you do like in this equity market, something that has worked that you're sticking with? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, like the, the managed care stocks have been terrific. Uh, and that's an area that, you know, these are these are growth stocks um, and they don't they don't they're not priced as growth stocks. And they never have been because of you know concerns about perhaps regulatory oversight and things like that. But, you know, healthcare in general, I would argue, is an area of the market where you have pent up demand uh, from the pandemic as opposed to pay back in demand, like for technology spending or consumer goods. And for whatever reason, it still trades really cheaply. Um, and that, once again, it goes back to this idea that there may be fear about you know, pricing controls and things like that. But you know, to me, that's a fat pitch. And uh, you know, that, that's an area we've had a lot of exposure, uh, be it you know, in pharma, managed care, some of the cheaper areas of, of healthcare. And I think that continues to, to work. The other area would be, say, integrated uh, energy companies where they're, they're more defensively oriented, not so dependent on the price deck. They pay a great dividend um, and you get some commodity exposure if, you know, as, as a hedge against you know, inflation staying sticky or hot. Uh, but the overriding message, John, as you know, this year from us has been defensive, earning stability, operational efficiency, boring type metrics. But, you know, it's been working nicely and I think it will continue until we get the, the trough in this bear market. It's been working in a tough, tough year. Congrats to you and the team, Mike Wilson, so far for 2022. Just absolutely brilliant. Mike Wilson there of Morgan Stanley. One of those some years ago was Michael Pond. His fancy title now is head of global inflation-linked research at Barclays. Far more accurately, he is truly expert, with the exception maybe of Ian Lingen at BMO on full faith and credit. And he joins us today. Michael Pond, if I look at the real yield and I look at two partial differentials of the nominal yield and some measurement of inflation, which matters right now? It's the real yield that, that matters, and it's moved up a lot. Over the summer, the, the market was, was not really buying into the Fed's resolve to hike rates enough to slow the economy and getting inflation down. Um, since Jackson Hole, though, really yields have, have soared, particularly at the, at the front end, where they were almost at, at zero uh, earlier this month. Now they're above 1% when we look at short end forward. So the market's moved a lot and, and really accepted the hawkish tone of the Fed. So if I look not at the 10-year real yield, but Michael Pond, let's go shorter to maybe the two-year, if you agree with me on that. From a negative 300 basis points inversion to a positive 164 basis points. That's a hugely linear jump condition. How do other asset classes react to the Michael Pond world? Well, risk assets do not love higher yields that are not supported by strong growth. Uh, really, where, where real yields are rising here is because the Fed has become much more hawkish trying to slow the economy. And, and that's in part why uh, risk assets have been on the back foot uh, since Jackson Hole. So the Fed's trying to get uh, the economy in a uh, position where inflation comes down and then it can take its, its foot off the, off the brake a little bit and allow growth to go back up. But we're, we think we're years from that. Uh, the Fed's resolve is strong here. That was clear at the, at the Jackson Hole speech. By, by Chair Powell, uh, ripping up the, up the script then and channeling his, his inner Volcker. Uh, risk assets have responded, but now they're at the point where perhaps they've overreacted. 
you know, obviously we'll, we'll get the, a message from the Fed that's on the hawkish side, but markets are already prepared for a very hawkish Fed. So they, it's a delicate balance today. Before we veer too far into that, they might be prepared for a hawkish Fed. There's a question of how quickly that leads to economic deterioration and we can get there. But I want to sit on this idea right now of what it means to have a vulcarized Federal Reserve, particularly with real rates at the highest levels going back to 2011. Do you foresee ever again in the next few decades this Federal Reserve going back to zero interest rates? Uh, it's very possible. Uh, you know, we, we thought that the market was uh, pricing in too much of a uh, too high of a probability of uh, strong Fed cuts in, in next year uh, in in late summer. Uh, those have basically been taken out as appropriate. But we certainly could. If you look at the housing market and say the housing market becomes a sign of the broader uh, economic outlook, it, then then we could be in, in, in trouble here and the Fed would have to respond, uh, putting its dove hat back on. We think we're we're not likely to uh, enter that that uh, regime, uh, but it's certainly possible that we enter a recession. The Fed has to re, re you know, backtrack and send rates right back to zero. Well, okay, so this is sort of the big tension right now in bond markets, particularly on the long end, with the you know, ten-year yields at the highest levels that they've been going back years and years, and yet some people, including who, Michael Collins from PGM Fixed Income earlier, saying eh, it's unclear whether it's really time to pounce because there could be more. Is this the last time that we'll see real yields of this level because this Fed is poised to make some sort of turn in the not-so-distant future? I think it 100 percent depends on the path of uh, core inflation readings and uh, the labor market. That's why the Fed is reacting so hawkishly here. They've done quite a bit. Uh, some parts of the economy has, has begun to slow, such as the housing market. But the latest print on core CPI was 0.6, and labor markets clearly remain uh, quite quite tight, quite robust at a 3.7% unemployment rate. Uh, the Fed really needs to see a slowdown in the monthly pace uh, of inflation readings, particularly on core, and a weakening of the labor market. Again, the, the, the uh, chair talked about inducing pain in the economy. Again, channeling his inner Volcker uh, in order to get inflation okay. down. Mike. So the Fed has to do a lot more to get uh, get the economy where it right. wants to. Michael, they, you embrace a dual mandate, and I get that. And I, you know, we could talk all day about jobless claims, this, that, and the other thing, or trim mean Dallas. Maybe the chairman will bring that up today. He's got another mandate, which is the credibility of the Fed buttressed up against political realities. If we get a Barclays recession, if we get a Barclays sort of recession, does that become a third mandate for this chairman? Well, the Fed is absolutely trying to make sure it retains credibility, particularly when it comes to uh, inflation fighting. So one of the reasons why it's being so hawkish here is to make sure that inflation expectations don't get out of control, because that's when the Fed fears an inflationary spiral, where inflation is high, people expect it to be high, and it just feeds on itself. So one of the things the Fed is trying to do here is make sure that high inflation 
inflation itself doesn't lead to higher inflation expectations. So it's trying to maintain right. its credibility. And if we look at break-evens, if we look at surveys such as that from the New York Fed or the University of Michigan, the Fed's doing a good job on that front, and it's able to ignore any uh, right. political issues with a, with a slowdown. John, I'm sorry. Politics matters here. It's going to matter tomorrow for Bank of England. It's going to matter today for Chairman Powell. Oh, Tom, I don't disagree. And I think, Michael, this is going to be the difficult part. How do they convince people that higher unemployment is a price worth paying for lower inflation? Easy to say that now, but when people actually start to see materially higher unemployment, how difficult do you think this is going to get? Well, that's why the SCP, the Survey of Economic Projections, or the DOTS, if you will, will be so important today um, it, uh, when we get the statement. Uh, when we look at the statement, one of the things we'll be looking at is the unemployment rate path. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the SCP is supposed to uh, be the, the economic outlook uh, under a path of, of uh, perfect monetary policy. And if the unemployment rate remains uh, elevated in their forecast, that's a signal to the market that they're willing to tolerate uh, decently higher uh, unemployment rates to, in order to get inflation down. That's a message that the Fed has been sending, but we'll really be looking at the SCP to confirm that. Michael, just real quick here, I'm wondering what your projection is for how quickly inflation will come down, that headline CPI, at the end of this year, at the end of next. We're fairly optimistic that it will start to, to slow, particularly uh, with the October reading, in part because of technical reasons, at least in CPI. But even beyond that, again, we've seen signs in commodities and shipping rates, uh, in, so, in uh, ag-related futures, corn, wheat, et cetera, but, that many price pressures have peaked. Wages, though, are keeping inflation high, and that's the key to inflation really rolling over. Michael, just quickly, what are you talking about in terms of levels? Are we going to end the year at 6%, at 4%? When do we get uh, back? We think we'll, we'll certainly come down from that when it comes to uh, headline inflation, in part because of the strong decline in gasoline prices since, since March. Uh, but core can remain sticky. So uh, we think we'll slow in inflation readings, but certainly well above where the Fed would like them. Michael Pond of Barclays, thank you. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. 
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Very good. We will continue right now on this on corporate credit with Michael Collins, Senior Portfolio Manager at PGM Fixed Income. Michael, what I notice here, and I understand the mathiness of it, let's forget that. Yield up, we all know that. Chairman Powell will deal with it today. But in many cases, price very, very, very down. And we're seeing it in the Bloomberg Total Return Aggregate Index, the old Lehman Barclays indices as well. What is the significance of new low price on those aggregate indices? Yeah, Tom, as, as you point out, has really been nowhere to hide this year in fixed income. I mean, in, in our shop, we've gotten three big things right. We've kind of stepped aside on, on duration, meaning taking our, our long positions down to, to neutral. We've taken credit risk way down. We've generally been a little long the dollar, but that has not been enough to protect investors from that big trend down in prices. Uh, the good news is, as you know, when bond prices are down below par, which they all are, really for the first time I can think of in my career, Tom, we're seeing the bonds across the board, across all of our portfolios, trading at big discounts to par. And as you know, as long as they don't default, as Lisa pointed out, they end up back at par, right? So, so you actually have this really uh, a positive long-term right. opportunity in fixed income, which we haven't had for, for well over a decade. Michael, I look at the mantra of the real yield, the whole professional study of the inflation-adjusted yield. Explain to mere mortals why the real yield matters. Yeah, I mean, that is the world's discount rate, right? I mean, I'm always uh, surprised when, when people say, wow, I can't believe stocks and bonds are both selling off at the same time this year. And what I tell them is, well, you just wait until you see real estate and private debt and other assets that, that haven't sold off because they're not actively traded, they're not marked to market every day, wait for those shoes uh, to drop. Because when the discount rate, the world's discount rate, which is really real treasury yields by and large, uh, goes up as much as it has, as much as you know, a couple hundred basis points, all asset prices have to come down. And, and the question really is, have they come down uh, enough at this point? Well, let's get into that right now. Mike, we caught up with our good friend Bob Michael of JP Morgan Asset Management yesterday. I asked him about high yield. He said, not yet. Patience. Spreads need to get somewhere close to 750 basis points. The treasuries need to get somewhere close to 4.5. The Fed funds could push 5%. Any of that resonating with you right now, Mike, or would you take the other side of that trade? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll take a little bit of the other side on, on the rate thing. I think we're much closer on the rate side, right? Our view is that the, the rates are going to crest and come down first, and then credit spreads and, and equities will, will uh, continue to, to widen and sell off um, be, before they, they settle down. But, but I think we're really getting close to a point, Jonathan, uh, where the likelihood of the Fed and, and most other central banks uh, overshooting significantly on the upside and having to reverse course. I know the whole concept of the pivot, you know, was in vogue a couple of months ago and now people are pushing that aside. And wow, as, as, as they keep pushing these rates up at the same time, 
that global growth, you know, risk is coming down. Earnings are coming down. As Lisa points out, the faults are probably going to, to go up. Geopolitical risk continues to, to elevate. Wow. And inflation globally is really kind of rolling over. And I think it's going to be probably a lot lower in a year from now. Just as all those things are happening, these central banks are jacking up rates uh, ad nauseum. And, and I think that's a, a real recipe for a big reverse, of uh, course, on the rate side. On the credit side, I think you're right. I mean, earnings, we've done a lot of work on on earnings expectations going forward. And, and I think they're going to keep coming down, right? And, and people don't talk enough about the dollar and the impact on that for U.S. companies, for their competitiveness, for their repatriated earnings. The labor costs continue to put pressure on margins. And as Lisa pointed out, you know, you're starting to see layoffs finally happen. So I think there's a little more downside in credit uh, before, before you jump in with both feet. This is all really messy, Michael. I wonder, just to put it all together quickly, if you could give us a sense of how you play this, the conviction behind buying certain discounted bonds, taking the other side of Bob Michael, but also acknowledging what you see coming. Yeah, I mean, you, you stick with you stick with higher quality credit, right? And and uh, presumably that's what a big active shop. We have 140 analysts, Lisa, right? And that's really our, our bread and butter. And this is an opportunity in the market where where everything is kind of sold off, right? In in unison to to some extent. And there are a lot of relative value opportunities. You can buy really high quality credits at really big yields, really big spreads, low dollar prices. Uh, so there is a lot of opportunity there without taking uh, a lot of credit risk. And we've taken our credit risk down, but the yields that we're seeing across the board in the bonds we own, the high quality bonds we own, the portfolios we manage are really big, right? So, I mean, you don't have to take a lot of credit risk. Ultimately, you'll want to do that dip down in credit, but but it's definitely too early. Just so I can quote you for the rest of the day and get it right. Have you been buying this 10 year at 350, Mike? Yeah, we, we, we haven't yeah. yet. We're, we're, we're dead neutral here, uh, Jonathan. Um, but, but again, that is going to be uh, the, the, the big first trade, really, out of the gates here. And maybe you have to wait for, for today. The Fed is going to probably sound pretty hawkish today, even though they've done a good job on Fed days. I know we've talked about this on the program before. Uh, typically, the days the Fed meets and the days Jerome Powell speaks, the, the equity markets tend to go up. So they do a good job of getting investors off the ledge yeah. a little bit. But, but you know, those, that dot plot is going to be ugly. Uh, I think a lot of it's probably priced in and the markets are braced for it. But uh, there will be an opportunity I would bet in the next couple of quarters to, to really start getting long duration. We'll catch up and talk about it. Mike Collins there of PGM. Thank you, Mike. And particularly a shock to the nations of commodities. Kona Hake joins us now, head of research at EDNF Man, and is just brilliant on the soft, something we don't talk enough about. Kona, the impact of a strong dollar on commodity nations, commodity EM, how large is it? Huge, huge. I mean, if you think about only six months ago when the war began in Ukraine, um, everything went up, whether it was energy, grains, they all went up. And that was because it was highly inflationary. But then the inflationary story in the U.S. led to a higher U.S. dollar. That U.S. dollar then caused that whole commodity um, elevation to just come collapsing down. And now we're back to pre-war levels. Um, so, yeah, the dollar impact on commodities very intact and reverse cor um, inverse correlations as intact as ever. 
My training is to always pivot to Indonesia and Brazil on dollar strength. Are they of interest? Well, yes, Indonesia, obviously, palm oil, massive producer of palm oil, exporter and coal as well. Um, and for Brazil, I mean, particularly for the soft commodities, you cannot underestimate the impact of the Brazilian real on all of these commodities. So what we're seeing today is the strong dollar is causing the BRL to weaken. Um, that in turn is putting pressure on things like coffee, uh, sugar, soybeans, all the major Brazilian exports, iron ore even. But it's not just that. I mean, I think today commodities are reacting. They were positive initially because of the inflation story, but now they're coming off because the inflation story has moved to a recessionary story. And obviously that's not great for commodities. Um, worse for metals and energy, arguably less so for softs, but it's still, it's still isn't um it does have a dampening effect for sure the focus so very much on the energy story, especially for Europe, as they face off with a potentially catastrophic winter, depending on the meteorologist reports that we get. I'm wondering from your perspective if the answer is what Germany is now doing, which is to nationalize energy companies. Does that help support things in a more concrete way, or does it just basically put a Band-Aid over the actual bill that some of these countries are facing? Yeah, so I think, in my opinion, it's a Band-Aid because... The reality is that none of this is providing additional supply. So we have a supply-demand mismatch right now in the energy crisis. So we either tackle demand, so you have to ration demand, and I can't see Germany effectively rationing the demand. And certainly in the UK, they're actually, in effect, subsidizing the demand. So that doesn't even tackle that side of things. And on the supply side, I think I don't see them investing or allowing more um, natural gas uh, to come out. So I don't see this as fundamentally altering the, um, the situation too much. And I think this, this can go on for a while. Well, when, this, when you say this can go on for a while, there is a question of how much has already been priced in in terms of what is to come for this winter. And then there is a question, as John's highlighted many times, of the duration of how long, how many years we face off with this lack of supply in the face of demand. What's your view on both of those? So with time, you know, humans are very innovative and markets are adaptive. So with time, what's going to happen is as long as prices continue to provide this pain pressure, you will start seeking adaptation. So you will move towards alternatives, renewables, you will become more efficient. So that's definitely something that will happen with time. Overnight, you're not going to get that. So I think effectively what we're saying is we need that pain pressure to continue for a little bit more to, to materialize these kind of actions. Only then will we start seeing a proper diversification, both in terms of demand and also supply. So we can start relying less on natural gas, relying less on Russia, um, even relying less on LNG. I mean, I've understanding that the LNG carriers are, you know, the freights are going through the roof. They're struggling to get hold of ships. So it's a multitude of problems that are not going to be fixed overnight. And this is going to take a while. Kind of hack there of ED and FMAND. Thank you, Kona, as always. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this 
is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.